Colossians 1, verse 7 through 9. And uh, what I was going to say is that I think when we get there and we see what God's really done and just how deep His mercy and grace has gone, uh, we're just going to see that we just that all we recognize was just a little bit of what he's done for us in our life. And, and then we're going to say, you know, I don't know why I was so worried about all of that stuff because God had that. He had it in his hand. He had that all figured out. Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 7 and uh, going through verse 9. I, this is not really where I wanted to get to. I'm really wanting to get down to verse, uh, uh, I really want to get down to about verse 15 uh, and start there because that's where I really started this study and I kept backing up and said, no, before I say that, I better back up and talk about this. No, before I do that, Sean, I need to back up and talk about this. So, I, Gary, I got almost back, come back to the first to the chat, but I, I got to, yeah, I got to looking and realizing though that uh, the first part of this, actually verses three through six, I had, it hasn't been that long ago that I actually chose these for the scripture verses. It's been this year sometime, I think. But anyway, and you say, how can you know that? You can't remember if you had breakfast. How can you remember that? It's because actually it's marked in a color in my Bible. And everything that I do, if I've used it before, it's in color. So you look at my Bible, it's just all kinds of colors of, of highlighter all through there. So that's how I knew this. All right. This is Paul writing to the church at Colossae. And it reads like this. You learned about the good news. Hang on to that for just a second and just good news. Get that in your mind. You heard about the good news from Epaphras, our beloved co-worker. He is Christ's faithful servant and he is helping us on your behalf. Verse 8. He has told us about the love for others that the Holy Spirit has given you. And verse 9. So we have not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you, we ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. Let us pray. Father, we love you. Take now, Father, and direct my scattered mind, my eyesight, and my speech that I might be attentive to teaching this lesson that you will be blessed, you'll be lifted up, and Father, it'll be all of you and none of me in Jesus' name, and we all said, Amen. Amen. I like that verse 7. Since you, he said, you learned about the good news. Now, what was interesting, the reason I had to keep backing up, and I am going to talk a little bit about 5 and 6 just briefly, but the reason is because this is the third time he's used the phrase good news in as many verses. He used it the first time in 5. Now, yours may say gospel. And so why did we title it Good News or Gospel? They actually both mean exactly the same thing. Does anyone know where we got the title of calling Jesus, calling what he did, the message, his message, the good news or the gospel? It actually comes from a word. We got gospel from the word God spell, G-O-D-S-P-E-L, which actually means good news, but it was taken from a phrase that might be familiar to you. See if this phrase sounds familiar. It was taken from a phrase that, said, that means glad tidings of great joy. That sound familiar to you? That's why it's the gospel. That's why it is the good news. And he said there in verse 6, if you back up to it, he says, it was the good news that came to you, and it was the truth about God's wonderful grace. And of course, I've, I've talked about that verse and he also talked about the truth in verse 5. Now he said, had 
heard and learned the truth about God's wonderful grace he talked about there, it indicates that there has been an effort to conceal, to hide, or to distort the truth about God's grace. Do you think Paul was just out of his mind? Was Paul just paranoid? Or were there people of his day that just didn't like the idea that he was preaching that grace message? Well, if you don't have to look very far. In fact, I'm going to tell you this, and I don't want you to think because I've been getting scolded lately because people get the idea that I don't reverence the Bible. I do reverence the Bible. I just always tell people the Bible's not the sum of who God is. And, and the, the people who spoke in the Bible were real people. It's clear to me, Mike, that when James said the words, show me your faith without works and I'll show you my faith by my works, he was shooting that out in Paul's direction. Because Paul wrote so many times, it's not by works. Your works don't have anything. To, it's not by your works. And so these guys had a difference. So Paul was getting all kinds of criticism. And there were all kinds of people trying to distort the grace message. And folks, that's what we kind of, David kind of hit it on the head this morning when he said it's about Jesus, right? And Jesus is the good news. And that's what it's all about. It's about our, it's about our trust in Jesus. Because we have got to trust, Lish, that God's got this thing right. That God got this thing put together. That he figured it out. And I've got a feeling he figured it out a long time ago. I've got a feeling that he figured it out a long, long time ago. Long before we suspected he did. So what would be anyone's reason for wanting to distort the truth about God's wonderful grace? Well, the only reason I can think of was for concealing or withholding the good news because he said that, that good news is the truth about God's wonderful grace. That's the good news. And the only thing I can think of is that grace is liberating and it takes the effort, it takes the self-righteousness out of the equation of salvation and our walk with God, our relationship with God. And this removes man's mediation out of the God-man relationship. Now listen to me. For us to be able to understand this, and even in our era, Brother Doug, it, take, it calls for a paradigm shift. And uh, I've explained to you what a paradigm shift is, but I'll, I'll give you that definition one more time. Man used to always think that the earth was flat. And man always, matter of fact, it's just been recent that man has determined, I mean recent, as far as time goes, that man has understood that the earth goes around the sun and revolves in, in a rotation pattern around the sun. Up till then, men always just thought the, the sun went around the earth because it would come up and it would go down. And we still call it the sun coming up and the sun going down, right? But what happened is, all of us here today, I don't think there's anybody here today that's willing to argue that the sun is rotating around the earth, is there? Anyone still holding to that old theory? So what happened is we all had a paradigm shift. Mankind, there was proof that came out and man had a paradigm shift. And for us to accept the good news of God's wonderful grace, it takes a paradigm shift on our part. And the paradigm shift is this, that folks, no man should ever get between you and God. No human being should ever get between you and God. Remember that old song that Tom T. Hall that, boy, it was, people got all upset because he sang that old song, me and Jesus have got our own thing going. Me and Jesus have got it all worked out. Me and Jesus have got our own thing going. We don't need anybody to tell us what it's all about. That's the reality of the grace thing. And what the grace thing does, what Paul's message does, Boone, it takes power away from man and gives it to God. It takes power out of the hands of men and gives it to Jesus Christ. And that's where it belongs, right? That's where it belongs. So was it good news? Was it great, good, glad tidings of great joy? 
I think it was even to that era, Miss Maggie, because it meant that they don't need the temple. It meant they didn't need the priest. It meant they didn't need the sacrifices. It meant they didn't need the law. They just needed the truth. And the truth is, and this is a big word, and, and, and I heard Gary talk about this some. This is a big word that we need to understand. The truth is we are reconciled to God through Christ. What does reconciled mean? It means there's no more, there's no more harboring of bad feelings. There's no barrier. The barrier is taken down. The veil is split. It has been torn. And there's no veil between us and God. God's on, we're on right terms with God. And it's more important for us to know this than for God to know this. We always want to look at this from God's perspective. Well, God's reconciled. We're reconciled to him. And he is reconciled to us because the enemy can't take that old sin argument all the time. Brad, he can't say, look what kind of guy you are. Why, why you lied the other day and you did this the other day and God's not. Listen, it's settled. Man gets, loves to get in the middle. So it is great news. It's great news that, that you have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Now, let's get into verse 8. Verse 8 says, he has told us, talking about Epaphras, is reported back to Paul, that he has told us about the love for others that the Holy Spirit has given you. The love for others that the Holy Spirit has given you. I think it's in John, I can't remember what chapter, it's in 1 John where John said, we can know we, are, we belong to God because we have this unexplainable love for the brethren. Now I want you to think about this for a moment. This is an important phrase that I've missed every time I read the book of Colossians. I've missed this phrase because you have the love that the Holy Spirit has given you. Only God's Holy Spirit operating in me can create a heart in me that will fulfill the royal law. Love thy neighbor, right? Because, Mike, that don't come from my own human nature. My own human nature says, don't let anybody get too close because they're going to mess with you. They're going to take advantage of you. I had a guy say, he was a great Bible teacher. And I remember this Bible teacher, it stuck in my mind, Jessica, all this time. He said, if you try to live by that love your neighbor thing, people are going to be just walking all over you all the time. You see? You see how we can just have, but because that doesn't come natural for us. That has to come from a divine source. That has to come from a supernatural place for us to love people. Now think of this for a moment and see, this is one of my thoughts. This may scare you a little. By our own will and by our own determination and effort, we may refrain from stealing. We may refrain by our own efforts from lying. We may refrain from murdering. We may refrain from adultery. Adultery. I'll try to say that right. But we can never love by our own sheer will and determination. Have you ever thought of that? We can never have this divine love by our own will and determination. Only a regeneration by the Holy Spirit can result in loving others. And Paul said, I am just ecstatic that I've got the report back that the Holy Spirit has created in you a love for one another. Folks, that's what we have here at Skyland, isn't it? Isn't that what we experience? We experience, I don't know why you love me. It's not because you have to. I used to say that. To people, you've got to love me. The Bible says you have to. No, you don't have to. 
But why do we love one another? And how does that love trump our differences? How does that love trump everything else? How does that love go beyond anything else? How do we still love one another when we disagree about things? It's got to be supernatural, isn't it? It can't come because that's not in me. David, I don't know about you. I do know about you. When I, when I was growing up, if you disagreed with me, you were my enemy. And if we couldn't settle it with words, there were other ways we could settle it. <laughs> I know David, he'd pop you in the nose. <laughs> if you, and, and I think he liked to do it. But <laughs> he enjoyed it. But the idea is, the idea is, this other thing that's so, so different to us, it's so alien to us, it has to come from another source. I haven't seen David pop anybody in the nose in a long time. I haven't, I'm not saying he hasn't had the urge. I'm just saying, but there's some restraining force in his life that he used to not have, Sean. <laughs> and thank God for that. Only a regeneration by the Holy Spirit can result in loving others. Did you ever think about that? This was something big that Paul was on to. And then Paul was going to build on that. So Paul fully accredits the Colossian believers' love for one another to being, what did he call it? A gift of the Holy Spirit. You know, we talk about a lot of gifts of the Holy Spirit, but did you know that the most basic and primary gift of the Holy Spirit, Gary, is that we can love one another with agape? We can love one another with a love that supersedes human love and, and, and human explaining? If we're experiencing discord, division, and hate, that's natural. That's what people do. That's what human beings do naturally. But love is supernatural. To love one another is supernatural. For us to love one another, you know, you say, well, well you know, I love my family and I love all of this. And sometimes they're the hardest ones to love. Right, kids? This <laughs> confirmed that I was on the right trail here. But all I got is a smile. Steve's shaking his head. Looking right at me, shaking his head. The reality is, love is supernatural. This love that Paul's talking about is supernatural. So let's don't discard that little verse where he said, we've heard about this gift of the Holy Spirit you have of loving from one another. Because I want to tell you something, Brother Doug. I've been in a church or two where they weren't operating in that gift of love of one another. It was more dissension and division and conflict. I'm not being ugly. I'm just saying the truth. I want to tell you something, Christians. I'm not going to come together and meet here with you and have conflict and, and, and hate. We're not any of us going to do that, are we? We're not going to come here in conflict with one and just have, and have that feeling. I've been there. I've stood in the pulpit, and this is getting a little too personal. And if Tracy needs to, she can edit this out. But it's the truth. I stood in the pulpit in churches where I was miserable being there because I felt like it was just going out there and falling on the deaf ears because I saw all the dissension and all the conflict that was in the church that was going on behind the people. And I thought, and really in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, can, can, can God use me to say anything to you? Because I've talked about love and I've talked about loving one another and, and talking about all of this stuff and it hasn't, okay. Notice the next thing he says. So we have not stopped praying. This is verse nine, and this is we're getting to the end of this in a hurry. So we have not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. Now I want to talk about that for just a moment. You know the mistake that we often make. The mistake that we often make is is that when things get good for people, we stop praying for them. 
Now, if you think about it, I pick on Gary a lot because he and I have some discussions outside of the church and when we're working, sometimes if you see things that are a little crooked that we're building and it's a little crooked, it was in deep discussion. We were in a deep Bible discussion when that got, or when that paint got over on that other part of it that's not supposed to be. That's That was a deep discussion. You can look in there and say, well, Gary and Alan was in deep discussion that day when they were nailing that up. But here, the book of Colossians, did you ever know, I never noticed this list till this morning as I was reading this again, I got to look at it and I just kind of scanned through it. The book of the Colossians, is the, the, the letter to the Colossians is the only letter that Paul wrote that he had no criticism for this church. There was no criticism. There was nothing saying you need to stop doing this, you need to tell those folks they need to stop doing it, you need to, and you know Why? I realize that. It's because of that verse we just talked about, that love. They had a love for one another, and it took care of all the problems. The whole book of Corinthians was written because there was dissension in the church. He started out. He said, I hear there are divisions among you, and he said, I believe it's true because you're even arguing about who baptized you. Right? Even Galatians said, well, he didn't have anything. Yeah, he said, oh, foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that you have so soon fallen from the truth that you so, so soon turned away from the grace that has saved you? So he had a problem. But David, I looked at Colossians, and he had nothing but praise for these people. And you know why I think it was? It's because they loved one another. They had that gift. They operated in that gift of the Holy Spirit of loving one another. And all of the next things, his prayer is built on this foundation. Until we accomplish this love for one another, we can't build anything else. And this is what he asked for. Look in verse 9. He said, we have not stopped praying, so let's don't stop praying. And folks, don't stop praying for our church because our church is doing well. In fact, sometimes that's why we need to pray more diligently, right, Brad? That may be more reason. Sometimes Brad says, I'll say something about us not having conflict. And Brad says, let's don't jinx it. I know what he means. Because we've all had conflict and we've all had con in the churches where there are conflict. We're not going to jinx it, but what we do is let's don't stop praying for one another. Let's just keep on praying for one another that this unity that we have will always go on. And what? We're going on 10 years now. We're going on 10 years together. And you know what? I have not heard it. I want to brag on you a little bit. There's nobody come to me and said, you know about old brother Mike over there? He's done so and so. And you know, he irritates me when he does. And you know, I just don't like the way he looks. And I don't like the way he talks. And I don't like the way he dresses. And he wears the wrong kind of jeans and all of this. I don't hear none of that. But I want to tell you, I've been in places where it was that petty. I don't hear that here. And matter of fact, when I start hearing that here, I've told you this before, and I don't believe I will, Jessica, but when I start hearing that, I'll be gone. I'll be the first one gone because I am not, if we can't come together and love one another, if we can't come together, if we may not agree on anything else, but we must agree on this, that God, that Christ died for us and therefore we should love one another. If we're going to be God's expression of, to people here on earth, our expression is going to be that we love what he loves. And what does he love? Humanity. He loves humanity, not just believers, but humanity. All right, that's enough of that. He said, our prayer is that God will give you complete knowledge of his will. Let's stop right there. Complete knowledge of his will. Now, listen to what he said. He said that God will give you. Here's another gift. You cannot study hard enough. You cannot go to seminary long enough. You cannot, you cannot by your own 
efforts and means attain knowing what God's will is for it has to be a gift from him. Notice these gifts he keeps talking about. The gift of love. He said that God will give you. It's not something you're going to earn. We're not going to earn. Say, so, well, God tells me all of this because I'm so good. I read my Bible so much and I pray so hard. God's give. No, no, no. It's going to be a gift. And what is a gift? What's the definition of a gift? No strings attached. No strings attached. Gifts from God. We're, we're not good at giving gifts with no strings attached. We're not good at that. But God's good at that. Complete knowledge of his will. God's will for us is knowable. Now, I don't know about this complete knowledge. It's more like a fulfilling and a completeness that we know that we're doing what God wants us to do. As far as knowing the complete knowledge of God's will for all of humanity and all this, we might not know that. But God's will for us is knowable. It's individually and collectively. And it's kind of like this. To know what God wants me to do and what he desires. But it always begins with an internal thing, kind of like, I feel like, have you ever said that? I kind of feel like God's leading me in this direction. I kind of feel led. I've heard every one of you say, make that statement. Or, you know, I kind of feel like I ought to, and then you'll tell me something that you're about to do. What do you think that is? That's God revealing his will to you. That's knowing God's will. And sometimes it's, it's, we just have a moment to react and respond when God speaks to us and leads us from this internal thing. Sometimes only a moment to respond because it usually involves some act of kindness or helping someone or giving. And if we don't respond the right way, David, right at that moment, the moment has passed and we're not going to get an opportunity to do that. All of us, most of us, have not acted spontaneously on that feeling of being led. And we've looked back at it later and said, you know, I felt like I missed an opportunity there. I really should have done that. But it's gone, right? I mean, it's gone. We can't beat ourselves up. But all we can do with it is, Renee, the next time, maybe respond a little faster. We're just not so slow to, to get the message. I didn't point that at you for any particular reason. Just because you were looking at it. Other times, it's more involved than that spontaneous thing. I can't look over there now because I'm going to laugh. Other times, it's more involved. Sometimes it's so involved, it's involved, deeply involved in things like a career choice. I see some people back here that are involved in career choices. It's deeper. It's a ministry, getting involved in a ministry. You feel led in a ministry or to support a ministry. But it all begins internal, right? Every time it begins with, I feel led, and we've prayed about it, and we feel led. And sometimes it seems God just puts things in our path. He opens doors and he opens opportunities for us. And it just presents itself to us. And then we start saying, you know, I need to know, God, what your will is. For this. And I always tell folks this. God is always, you hear me say this all that God's ahead of us. When God has opened up that avenue, that door, that gate, when he's opened up that opportunity for you, he's already on the other side of that opportunity saying, come on. And sometimes all we can see is that opportunity. And we say, well, God, is this really where you want me to be? Because have you ever noticed in your life, you're always like, oh, we're always like, all right, now I'm in this and this is where God, I know God wants me to be. And then we look up, and God's over there behind another door, and he's saying, come on, 
That's just a little, that's, this is not where I, this is not the end of where I want, I, this is just, you've got to pass through here to get to where I want you. Because sometimes we just say, well, this is it. This right here is where God wants me. This is the place. And it may be that he has something even greater in mind for you. This is just the stepping stone. This is just a little platform that you have to, a little uh, plateau that you have to walk across to get to where he really wants you. I don't know why God gave me this message, but somebody here today, God's speaking to you in this message. Listen to me. God, what we're doing is often what we're doing is seeking out confirmation of what God has already led us to do. Isn't that right? We've already felt like God wants me to do this and what we're needing is confirmation that it's God speaking to us. And God does this all the time. Usually he'll do it through another person. I've got to share this one little example with you that has stuck in my mind. This year there was an elderly gentleman that came to me and don't ask me how old you've got to be to be elderly or somebody will be mad at me in here. But there was this elderly gentleman. All right, he was in his 80s. <laughs> but no, but he, there was this elderly gentleman that came to me. I see two guys back there shaking the fist. Uh, this, and I love him. He's always a wonderful Christian man. And he came to me, and he, and he was telling me about this trail. He said, well, you know, he said, there's an old farm that we grew up in, the farm place that we all grew up that my family had. And I don't want to go into too much detail because some of the family may listen to this and, and, and put the two and two together. But it's not a bad story. He wasn't saying anything bad about his family. But he said, I was going to buy the family farm. And, it, and I'm not talking about 100 acres. Or so. This was a farm where they grew soybeans and all that kind of stuff. So this wasn't a little 40-acre farm. This was a farm. And he said, my, my dad's place, all the other kids were not interested in the farm. And he said, so I made an offer on the farm just to buy the old home place and buy the farm. And he said, I had it all planned out how I could do this. Now, he's, he's already 85 years old, I think. And he said, I'm going to, you know, want to buy the family farm and do all this. And uh, he said, but my sister came up and she said she, did, she didn't think the offer I made was a fair offer. So my sister came forward and he was kind of, I could tell he was kind of upset with this issue. And I listened to his little story that he told me, and, and it was important to him. And I said, Brother Bobby, I said, did you ever stop to think? And I said, I don't know how you pray about things, but I pray about things like this. God, if this is not what you really want me to do, if this is not your will for me, just put up a wall here. Just put something up, and then I'll stop and look at it a little closer, and maybe this is not where you want me to. I mean, that's just how I do. I don't know about you, but I'm always looking for that confirmation. I said, Brother Bobby, did you ever stop to think at your age that maybe this is going to be more a burden to you than even be a blessing to you. Maybe God knows something that you don't know. And, and maybe you ought to think about this. Maybe this is something that really God don't want you to do at this point in your life. And he kind of dropped his head for a minute. And he looked up and he said, you know, Alan, he said, the words you just used, he said, just last Sunday, an attorney that, goes, that I go to church with said he came over for dinner and I told him, and he said, he told me the exact same thing that you just told me. What was God doing for him? He was confirming, wasn't he? God was confirming to him what he... And see, I didn't have anything in it. Maybe his attorney friend that went to church for him, maybe he was a little closer to the issue. And maybe, I had nothing. I didn't have a dog in this hunt. So it didn't make me any difference. I just felt like God led me to say that to him. And then I realized, and then after he said that, he said, that's almost verbatim. That's almost exactly what my attorney friend just told me last Sunday afternoon. And you know what I said to him? And it just blurted out. I said, so now God's told you twice, hasn't he?
what I'm saying is, is that confirmation. That's what, and it can come through another person, and it can come to, through somebody that we're not even expecting. It can come through a Bible lesson. It doesn't always, but a confirmation of something that we're feeling led can come through a Bible lesson. It can come through a verse. I talked to a guy here just a while back. He said, I can't figure out. I've been, this week, I've seen this one verse of Scripture four times in four different places. He said, I even saw it. I think he said, I saw it on a sign in someone's yard or on a bumper sticker. He told me the places that he saw this one verse of Scripture. He said, I think God may be trying to tell me something. And I was thinking, Maybe God's trying to confirm something he's already told you. Did you ever think of that? Maybe God's trying to confirm something that he's already told you. And sometimes we can get our confirmation in a song or even hopefully sometimes in a message. Hopefully sometimes in a message God will confirm things to you. In fact, I want to tell you something. We should grow to expect confirmation when we're praying about something and we feel led about something. We should grow to expect this confirmation. Expect God to confirm it through someone or through something God gives you confirmation. I'll tell you a quick story, another story that the Spirit just laid on my mind of a guy that told me, he said, you know, I've been thinking about trying to, he said, I really, I know, I've been knowing and I've been, he said, you know me and I've been struggling with this God thing for about nine years now, really struggling with it. And he said, uh, he stopped me on the road to tell me this and I thought it was just so amazing that he, you know, flagged me down on the side of the road and I sat there in the vehicle and he telling me this and he said uh he said i guess you heard about what happened to me i said no nah, i hadn't heard what happened. he said the other day said i went down to the, the neighbor wanted me to bush hog the field and i went down to bush hog the neighbor's field and said i started to said i somehow i hit the starter on the tractor and that old tractor will start in gear and said the tractor took off before i got on it. you know who i'm talking about don't you david and the tractor took off he said before i got on it and he said it drugged me down and off of the tractor he said i knew what was going he said it ran over my ankle, and he said, I don't know if it broke my ankle or what, but I said, it ran over my ankle and said, my ankle was hurt, but I said, I got up, and the tractor's going, and he said, I thought, I've got to catch that tractor. And he said, I ran that tractor down and got up on it and said, I got back and started up on it in and got a hold of the steering wheel, and I thought, this was not a good idea. And he said, about that time, the tractor lug grabbed me and jerked me back off the tractor, and he said, this time, the tractor went right across my stomach. said, I watched it in slow motion. It comes right across my stomach and said, it goes right up over my shoulder, and he said, I have to turn my head to keep it from running over my head. He said, I stood up. Sounds familiar, don't it? But he said, I stood up and he said, I dusted myself off. And he said, I'm not hurt. He said, you know what I did? He said, I ran that tractor down again. <laughs> and he said, this time I got it stopped. But he said, you know what? He said, I've been waiting on God to reveal himself for me. He said, you know what? He said, now that next morning, he said, you could, I could take my shirt off and you could count every tractor lug right across me, all the way across. But he said, you know what? God showed me. He said, I was, I was headed to the, he said, I was planning my Sunday morning routines to go to the bootleggers. He said, I went to church instead. God will confirm it to us. And sometimes it's so profound that we can't deny it. Sometimes it's so profound that we can't deny it. God's will may not be readily apparent, but it is knowable. And the second thing he asked for is that his prayer was is that God would give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. And this exceeds mere human intellect. A lot of smart folks exercise poor judgment. A lot of smart folks do some really dumb things. And uh, I'm not going to start naming any. We don't have time. But really, 
This is more about discernment. The definition of discernment is this. The ability to, listen, this is what discernment, this is what Paul's praying for these people. And this is all built on love, by the way, the love for one another. All these things come because the Holy Spirit, and all of these are gifts because he says that God will give you, he says it again, God will give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. He's talking about discernment here. And discernment is the ability to obtain sharp perception or to judge well. The ability to obtain sharp perception or judge well. Discernment involves going past the mere perception of something and making a nuanced, a nuanced judgment about its qualities or its properties. That's the definition of discernment. Did you catch that word nuanced? It means there's something leading you and telling you there's something speaking to you there's something beyond what you see that's saying to you you might not ought to do this you might not ought to want to do this or you may want to do this or you or you may want to avoid this business deal you may want to avoid this offer you may want to avoid this relationship it's a nuanced decision judgment that we make it's called discernment that's what paul is praying for his people to have at colossae the gift of spiritual discernment is beneficial in identifying what's genuine and what's not genuine, and that's in people and things, right? It's beneficial in identifying situations, whether they're genuine or they're not genuine, messages, whether it's a genuine message or it's not a genuine message. My personal conviction is that God gifts every believer with spiritual discernment, but like like any spiritual gift, one must learn to use and exercise it. How often have I heard in, in my career, have I had someone to say to me, I had this feeling that something just wasn't right, but I didn't say or do anything, I just went along. How many times have we said that? How many times have we said there was this nuanced thing going on in us saying, don't go there today. And I've heard it go as extreme as, Jessica, where there were people that, were, that got on an airplane and they just felt this nuanced judgment. It said, take a seat in the back of the plane. And they would change seats with somebody in the back of the plane and the plane crashed and they lived. And you say, well, they were lucky. But they, they were, in their own testimony, they would say, I just felt like this is where, and I've seen it vice versa. Not that the tail of the plane's any more safe than the front of the plane, I guess. If you're going down, <laughs> it's hard to make that judgment <laughs> in the moment. But the point is, to me, and I'm not making fun of people that have had plane crashes and either died or lived. I'm just saying that has to be the scariest thing in the world. But just little things like that. Paul's desire in his prayers for believers to be able to know God's will for their own lives, not dependent on someone else to tell them or mediate. Now listen, this is my desire for you, church, to know that you can know. My desire for you is to know that you can know. I may confirm something God has told you, but you do not need me to tell you anything. Are we square on that? I may confirm what God has told you, but God does not need me to tell you anything, neither does he need any preacher standing in any pulpit to tell you anything. There's where we're making our mistake. He tells it to us. That preacher, if he's in the spirit of God and the will of God, he may confirm to you something, but he's not going to You've already been told. And please, please, develop an expectation of confirmation. Everything you do when you're praying about something, have that 
Have that antenna up. Have those ears open. Be looking and listening when it's everything somebody says because it may come to you from someone you don't even expect it to come from. It may come from a source that you don't even expect it to come from and God will speak to you and tell you and confirm to you something that he's talking to you about and wanting you to do or not to do. He wants us to develop Paul's prayer for the Colossian church is to develop spiritual discernment. You won't get duped by people who want to wield control over you if you have spiritual discernment. You won't fall for their false messages that aren't good news at all. And let me, let me say something about good news. It's not good news to me when someone stands in the pulpit and says, you know what? You've been doing this, you're going to hell. You've been doing this, you're going to hell. The God I represent, he just likes to send people to hell. Now you say that's a ridiculous statement. It's not. I can hear one nearly every Sunday morning. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say about that. Like if God just gets great pleasure out of sending people. That's not very good news to me. Good news is, it means it's new and it's good. <laughs> and what was new was that Jesus was telling the people, you don't need anybody to go between you and God. You can go there yourself because I'm going to make it. Jesus was saying, I'm going to make it. That was the good news. And please don't squelch that gift of the Holy Spirit that creates a love for others in us. Because all other gifts, did you notice that Paul said, since you have this gift of loving one another, now I'm going to ask God to go ahead and give you the gift of discernment. I'm going to go ahead and ask God to give you the gift of knowing his will. Because all the gifts, Gary, I've determined, are based on the gift to love one another. Because Paul wrote in the 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians, he said, if I could speak in all of the languages of the world and I did not love others, it would mean absolutely nothing. It would just be a gong or a tinkling bell. He said, I could give everything I have to the poor and if I did not love others, it benefits me absolutely nothing. All that God wants to give you and do for you and me. I'm not pointing my finger like. I'm, all that God wants to do for me and give to me, Susie, is based on that one gift of loving others. Everything is based on that. Everything he'll do for me and everything he wills for me to do and everything that he, that he blesses me with in life is all based on loving that gift of loving others. Strive for that gift. What did he say? I've talked about all these spiritual gifts, Gary, but he said, yet I'll show you a more excellent way. What was that more excellent way? Love. He said, desire earnestly those best gifts. That's how he closed out chapter 12, wasn't it, in 1 Corinthians? He said, desire earnestly. He talked about all those spiritual gifts like speaking in tongues and prophecy and all of those other things. But he said, I will show you a more excellent way. A more excellent way for what? To obtain all of the gifts you need. It begins in love and it's rooted in love for one another. And that's exactly what Paul saw in the church of Colossae. And that's exactly what Paul was building up. And let's remember one more thing out of this lesson. Don't stop praying for people just because things are good, going good. <laughs> 